0: Marial, if you want to leave your outlines open, there's some space to take notes in there. If you've got questions after this kind of next thirty minutes, love to hear them after the service. Be great to chat with you then. We've been looking at this series of asking questions. If I were God, what would I change? And the question we're thinking through tonight is: Is everything the way it should be? One of the most successful human beings that our generation has known is a man by the name of Steve Jobs. Here's a picture of him. You might know him as the, as the, as the co-founder of Apple Computers, um, which is one of the largest companies in the world. Do you know uh, one, one of the recent counts they've done? They have $140 billion in cash reserves. It's kind of sitting there. That would make them, I think it's about, if they were a country, they'd be the 92nd largest country in the world. And it's just one, one company. In 2012, uh, on average, every U.S. household had 1.6 Apple devices in it. not sure what value the 0.6 of an Apple device was. Some of you are not sure what value any Apple devices are. It's okay. <laughs> Steve Jobs, you've got to say, was a successful man. His answer to success in life, to satisfaction, to happiness, was this. And that's the quote that's on the screen. For the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and ask myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? If today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? Steve Jobs' answer to what life is about is this. Do what you love. Do great things. That's where you'll find satisfaction and happiness. And for many people across the globe, that's what we're happy doing. We love life. We seek the things that make life fun. We seek the things that we love and we're doing a pretty good job of it. And if someone were to come and ask us, you know, if you were God, what would you change? We'd say nothing. I love life. I, I'm loving the things that, that are here that I'm doing. I just get to do what I want. You see that because that's one of the kind of main answers people had given us when we asked that question. Now, I take it, Behind that answer, that we wouldn't change anything. If I was God, I'd just leave the world as it is. Behind that answer, I think, either one of two things. Number one, that people see that the God of the universe has got everything just the way He wants it. The universe is how God wants it, and and, and it's great. This is it. We've arrived. This is God's plan for the world. That's what some people might think. It's kind of like saying, cheers to God, I'm loving life. Or secondly... This group of people that think that they wouldn't change anything about the world are simply people who love life to its full, who look at life and say, I wouldn't change a thing. I think I'm doing and seeking and living a life that I think is fun and right and good, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Life is rosy. But I want to put it to you tonight both those views of life are delusional, they're mistaken. They're completely wrong and understand why they're wrong we need to go to two of the most influential people of all history we're going to have a look tonight at some lessons from the life of Solomon Uh, Solomon uh, was the the son of King David who was a king of Israel he is probably uh, one of the world's richest wisest most productive and powerful people that we've ever seen and we read about him in the Bible. We've got recorded this great letter called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a book that's kind of like the memoirs of the life of Solomon. It records his kind of endeavours and what he's done and what he's thinking. It's a profound book. If you haven't read it, it's worth a read to take to see his take on life. And this man called Solomon, he pretty much had it all. <laughs> he's kind of like the, the modern day mixture of what... Um, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs in one, with Albert Einstein mixed with, I don't know, Brad Pitt. You know? <laughs> I don't know what the girl version of that is. You can tell me later. Right? But, but he's, kind of, he's got it all. And if anyone in this life had any reason to say, man, I wouldn't change a thing, it'd be him. Because he's got it all. He, he made it part of his life goal to work out how to live every day like it was his last. Steve Jobs didn't invent that view. It's been around since, well, a long time before Steve Jobs. Solomon, this man, did that in his life. And what we read about in this book of Ecclesiastes, these memoirs of the life of Solomon, is really what he was on about, what he was trying to do and what he found. Have a look with me at chapter 2, verse 3. And you see his little experiment that he's starting. Chapter 2, verse 3 of Ecclesiastes. I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. Until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. His life experiment was this. Imagine you had at your disposal all the resources you could ever hope for. All the resources of the world to throw at what makes you happy. And you get to experiment. Okay, what does this look like? It's a pretty great experiment to stand back and see what happens. And as we look at what Solomon did, we see him achieve all sorts of things. At these memoirs from the life of Solomon, we see he achieved wisdom. He achieved wisdom. Have a look with me. Chapter 1, verse 12. It's on the screen. I applied my mind to seek and explore through wisdom all that's done under heaven. I said to myself, look, I've amassed wisdom far beyond all those who are over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped Wisdom and knowledge. If only that was me before exams. (laughs) That my mind had thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge in their entirety. Uh, This is his experiment, and he's thrown himself at understanding the world. And so, listen to how famous he's become when it comes to wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 10, another part, uh, another book that's been recorded, another writings that have been written down throughout the history of Israel. Record for us how Solomon was viewed from the Queen of Sheba. Have a look at this. The Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's fame, connected with the name of Yahweh, and came to test him with difficult questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very large entourage, with camels bearing spices, gold in great abundance, precious stones. She came to Solomon and spoke to him about everything that was on her mind. So Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too difficult for the king to explain to her. When the Queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, the palace he'd built, the food at his table, his servants' residences, his attendant service and their attire, his cupbearers, the burnt offerings that he offered at the Lord's table, it took her breath away. It's like, "Wow, this guy's wise. Look at what he has done. Here he's he, he is probably one of the wisest men in the world at that time, maybe throughout all human history. But I want you to notice. That when he gets to that level of wisdom, he says it doesn't satisfy. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2. The wise man has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this is also futile. As our wisdom grows, so does our sorrow. As our knowledge increases, so does our grief. Because, well, we pass away. The wisdom that we have just disappears. That The fate of the fool and the fate of the wise is the same. Six feet under. Sorry about that, if you loved university. If you love learning. Solomon said, I've been to the top. And the view ain't that good. For we end up in the same place, no matter what we know. So then he turns to achievement. If wisdom isn't it, maybe I should seek achieving things, being productive. And so listen listen to this, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. I increased my achievements. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I, I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I, I, I constructed reservoirs of water for myself. From which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. Solomon comes along and makes Bunning's DIY look like, I don't know, some kid playing with Duplo, right? He makes the block look like amateur hour. Uh, maybe it is, <laughs> right? But what he does here, he's like he's building whole houses and vineyards for himself. I mean, we kind of put together a veggie garden, he builds the botanical gardens. And he's like, look at this. We think through, you know, I'd like to get a watering system. He's like, I built the reservoir. I made the lake that feeds everything that is here. Like, when it comes to doing kind of productive things statues, monuments, gardens, parks, fruit trees he's the man. Then we find that that doesn't satisfy either. So then he turns to possessions and wealth in verse 7 of chapter 2. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned many herds of cattle and flock, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. And that's a lot. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself, and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. When it comes to possessions and wealth and pleasure, man, he's got it all. He has these servants. Today, we might get a nanny to help with kids or a tutor to help them kind of understand things. Solomon, like, went and bought the university. He's like, it's mine. They, they work for me. I'm going to train as many people on myself as, as I can. I've got these servants serving me in these areas. He kind of would have had a full-time barista making him coffee in the morning. None of this get up and, you know, hope that it turns on automatically and there's an auto coffee. He would have had like a whole thing there. Of people he probably didn't even get, need to get up. it's just brought to him as it needs to be. He's got these singers that we hear about. Right? There's, there's no need for some idea of Spotify at his fingers. Like we think, you know, we're pretty great. I can get pretty much any music on my phone right now through Spotify. Like that's great. He didn't just have songs on tap. He had the bands living with him. It's like, oh, I want to hear Lord. Sweet, just go, hey, Lord, can you sing for me? Because like, they were all there, he'd them in their house. He wants to hear you too. He's like, hey, Bono, stop sleeping. Get up. And off he goes. If you don't know who you too is, I'll pray for you later. <laughs> Cattle and sheep, right? We're like, oh, man, that can be annoying. But that, that was the status of Wealth. Right, he's got the, As long as the eye can see, the hills are filled full of cows and sheep and they're his. It's the currency of the ancient Near East, silver and gold on top of that. It's like, you know, he doesn't need to go to the bank. The banks come to him, oh, can I borrow a dollar or a billion? He's got it all, amassed the wealth of provinces and kings. And you'd think that if all of that were yours, he'd be like, I'm pretty happy. But he's not. He turns to pleasure as well. Like the modern day mantra, his heart was filled with delights of men, food, wine, and women. It says he had 700 wives. 700. And I can't even remember the name of my four kids sometimes. How's that going to work? 300 concubines. From a worldly perspective, he makes the, the playboy mogul Hugh Hefner with his four supermodels hanging off him when he was still alive, he makes Hugh Hefner look pathetic, even more pathetic than he already looks. Like, he's only got four. There's over a thousand women here. And they're all here. Like, anything you can imagine, he has. He has access to. He says in verse 10, all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. I got up every day and I asked myself, am I going to like what I'm doing today? And if I said no, I wouldn't do it. And if I said yes, I would do it. He always answered yes to whatever opportunity of pleasure was within his reach and there was no pleasure that was out of his reach. So what was his conclusion about life, about happiness? Solomon's conclusion. His conclusion is that pleasure, wealth, wisdom, status, relationship and rest, though they are all available, were all futile. Look at verse 11. When I considered all I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Why is that? Why was there nothing to be gained under the sun? Why did he have such a dim and dark view of life when he was living it up from what we would think? Look at verse 16 on the screen again. For just like the fool... There is no lasting remembrance of the wise man, since in the days to come both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise man dies just like the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing for me, for everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. It's a profound piece of writing, this book of Ecclesiastes. It shows us so clearly what we miss we seek after these things. We run after pleasures and passions and, and, and achievement and wisdom. And Solomon, who's reached the top, says, Guess what? We all end up in the same place six feet under. The greatest thief in human history is not some wolf from Wall Street who's dodging with the money and causing financial crashes. It's not Al Capone or Frank Abagnale, you know, the guy from Catch Me If You Can, who kind of did all that. They're not the greatest thieves of human history. The greatest thief of human history is death itself. For death robs us of any lasting joy. It's the great equalizer in life. It comes to all, rich and poor, influential, inconsequential. It renders all our achievements useless, grounded, our joy stunted, our future, our life fleeting. Death, says the richest, wisest, most productive man the earth has ever seen. Death renders our efforts in this world futile, meaningless. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Such happy, happy happy news, right? But there is some happy things to look at. As we look at our nation, there there are things that we can celebrate. Do you know of all the 158 OECD countries in the world, New Zealand is ranked the ninth in happiness. That's pretty great. Like nine out of 158 of those countries, we ranked ninth in happiness. We're a pretty happy country, despite the weather, right? I think that's an achievement. Um, The life expectancy of At birth in New Zealand is 82 years. That's significantly long. Uh, 73% of people aged from 15 to 64 in New Zealand have a paid job. 73%. Uh, The percentage of the labour force that's been unemployed for a year or longer is only 0.8%. That's very small. 74% of adults aged 25 to 64 have completed upper secondary education. We're wise. We're a happy, wise, working nation. 90% of people believe that they know someone they could rely on if they came across a time of need. We're a nation that has people to to turn to. That's 94% of people. 90% of people in New Zealand reported to be in good health. The OECD average was 68%. We're a healthy, wealthy, working, happy nation. When New Zealanders were asked to rate their general satisfaction in life on a scale of 0 to 10, in this survey they gave a a grade of 7.3, higher than the average of 6.6. Yet, the New Zealand Ministry of Youth Affairs published this statement. By international standards, New Zealand's suicide rate is one of the highest in the world. In fact... We have the highest suicide rate amongst any of the OECD countries for females aged 15 to 24. Why is that? Aren't we we living the happy life? Aren't we having a great life expectancy and and working well? And what is going on here? Why is there such a downer about life? Why are people ending their lives like this? I want to... Put it to you that it's perhaps because we have swallowed a view of the world. What I call it, firecracker view of life. That we're told from the world around us that what life is like is this. You come into existence, you light your fuse, and then you do your best to produce the biggest bang you can on this earth. You make pretty lights for the world to see so that others around you might stand back and go, ooh, look at them. And then you fizz out and get blown away. And that's it. That's life. That's what we're here for. When you live with that view of life that I've got to live for what I love right now and we exist, we make a bang and then we fizzle out and that's it. Well, actually, when you look at what that's selling us, it's pretty empty. Is that really what we're here for? Is this really all there is? Are we expected to get excited about this? To live a life of a momentary bang and flash? It's not really living the dream, is it? But if this life is all that there is, then those pursuits, those flashes, those things that we need to do in life, those moments of pleasure and experience, you realise if this is all there is, they need to be the very best they can be. You better have the best experiences of life because you only get one shot. So you better live it up. YOLO, right? That's true. But they don't give us happiness. Happiness. Those things end up being necessary to make life worth living and they become a crushing weight on us. They become desperately important because my whole life and purpose and meaning hangs on me getting that experience or thing or wisdom or succeeding or pleasure. And if I don't get them, if the world doesn't deliver, if something happens in my life that isn't along with this plan I've been sold from the world around me or from myself, then I'm shattered. What a waste. <laughs> What's the point of living? Perhaps the lie that life is just fine how it is naively leads people to expect it will actually be fine. That Everything will just work out until one day reality hits home. Friends, 100% of people die. 100%. But in the midst of Solomon's experiment, as he stands back and looks at life, he gets a glimpse of a far more profound life than his own. A life that isn't meaningless. He looks around at the world and starts to see how there is something that makes work and food and family and pleasure and joy far better than if we just seek after them on our own. There is something that gives them meaning and purpose. Have a read with me from verse 24 of chapter 2. There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from Him? Life, the things that we seek after, the pleasures that we long for, are all given from God and to divorce the pleasures from the pleasure giver is to waste life because we we do not maintain what he has offered. You might be here tonight and feel like the world is just how God wants it. But I want to say it's not. This is not all there is. We were not built to live and die. We were built to be in relationship with the God who gave good gifts, with the God who wrote this word in the Bible, with the God who made you. But that God... He wants the best happiness for us, the best joy, the best pleasure, not the fleeting things that we seek after at the moment, not joy and pleasures that will stagnate and fade and corrupt, but an unshakable joy that will last forever, that will last beyond death. That's what Solomon is looking for. That's what he's pointing you and I forward to this night, that all good things come from God and that God is offering us life beyond death life where death is not the end this room resets every X number of minutes Dane will do some awesome thing and then it will all work so don't get freaked out but there's an intermission right Right there everyone alright? because now what I want us to do is to move from one wise man to another I want you to come with me and, and see another wise man An influential man a famous man but not famous for his earthly success but rather his death this man was solomon's great 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 grandchild solomon's son and his name was jesus and in jesus we meet something so amazing someone so amazing that we can suddenly make sense of life and what solomon was trying to say so let me take you to john that mariel read for us before In chapter 10, we get to hear the words of Jesus recorded by one of Jesus' closest friends. They're written down in history. They've been kind of spread across the ancient Near East. We've got copies of these writings. You can be pretty sure, and I'd love to have that conversation with you afterwards, that this is what Jesus said. So let me read to you what he said. I want to show you where true life is found. John 10, verse 7. So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so they may have life and have it in abundance. What Solomon was looking for, life in abundance, Jesus says he brings The sheep here in this illustration are are us, are people, Israel. And, And he's saying that Israel have not listened to everyone who's come before. They've chased after all sorts of other gods and other pleasures and other purposes. But it hasn't fulfilled for everyone else has pulled them away. But what they need to do is meet him for he is the door to go and find pasture, to go and find life in abundance. Every bit of pleasure in life is an experience and a foretaste of what is to come. Things we love, good relationships, good friends. They're things that God has given us to say there is more. Don't just seek this here and now and think that's it. There is more to come. I have not made you this way. But it comes only through Jesus. Listen to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he is not the shepherd... And doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired man and doesn't care about his sheep. John tells us that he is convinced that Jesus is God. He starts this letter saying in the beginning was the word talking about Jesus. The Word was with God and the Word was God. This man who spent three years of his life following Jesus is convinced and telling us that Jesus is God, that he has given us all good things that we have. Everything that is in in existence, that has been created, was made through him. And then Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who lays down my life for the sheep. Jesus has come so that you and I might have life in abundance. But why do you need to lay down his life? What sort of shepherd does that? Well, a shepherd that is dying in the place of the sheep. See, the Bible tells us all of us have turned our backs on God. No one here, myself or you, have treated God as we ought. We've not treated him as the one who made us. We've not honored him perfectly. We've ignored him at times. We've turned our back on him. Sometimes unknowingly, other times quite arrogantly. We've said, I don't want you in my life. But the problem is, the Bible tells us that God is the one who gives life. And if you reject the one who gives life, you're rejecting life itself. Imagine for a moment that um, we'll treat God a little bit like a power company, if you allow me to do that. I don't know if you pay the power in a flat or the house that you're in, but there's an important relationship for the person who lives in a house and the power company. You need to listen to their letters. They send you letters throughout the year and they tell you how much you need to pay and you need to pay them. If you don't respond to their letters that they send you, they have every right to say, look, that's fine, but I'm going to cut off the benefit I bring. If you ignore the power company for long enough, then you'll ignore power. You will not get it. If you ignore the God who sustains life and who brings life and who gives life, then he'll come to a point where he'll say, okay, you don't want me or or the product I bring, life, then death is what you deserve. You reject the life-giving God. You're rejecting life. And so death reigned. Paul tells us in Romans that death has reigned since the time of Adam, since Adam and Eve rejected God. We're all like that. We put ourselves at the center. We live for ourselves. We think we call the shots rather than God. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He comes and recognises what a mess we've got ourselves into and that we all deserve death. So he says, I will die in your place. I'll take the punishment you deserve. I'll pay the power bill for for you rejecting the life-giving God. I'll die in your place and I'll take what you deserve on me so that you can have life. That's true. That's amazing. He's offered us life, not because of anything we've done, but because he loves us and he's the good shepherd and he willingly lays down his life for us sheep. The way to have that life is to come to him and say sorry for rejecting God. Sorry for not treating you the way that you deserve. It's to stop running after the things that we think will bring pleasure and run after the one who gives pleasure. Stop chasing the things we think will give pleasure and come to the one who who gives pleasure, Jesus, the one who's died in our place. The things of this world, I think they're a little bit like the Titanic. I don't know if you know the story of Titanic. Um, it's a fancy big ship that everyone was wowed by. Like, wow, look at this ship, it can cross through icebergs, it's amazing and strong, and everyone was like, whoa, imagine having a, a ticket on the, on, on the ship of the Titanic. And it was fancy, they had all people kind of playing nice music and fancy food. You'd be like, whoa, I just want to be there, right? But sorry to spoil the ending, it didn't end too well. It sunk. It hit an iceberg and sunk. Sometimes life is like, really, the things of life are like looking at the Titanic. They look shiny and nice. It looks like the high life. But to seek pleasure and and, and, um, importance and wealth and wisdom as the number one thing is like clinging to a sinking ship. It's saying, oh, I want to hang on to this deck because I love the music, even as the ship is sinking because we know that life ends in death for those who've rejected Jesus, for those who've rejected God. But what's in front of us right now, as we've heard this news from Jesus' lips, is a life raft, life raft called Jesus. He has come the one who has floated for us. He doesn't look all that crash. He's not like the Titanic in some ways. And what he offers us is life forever he's faced death for us and he offers what will really satisfy life after death life that lasts forever relationship with god Uh, the things of this world that are that are kind of broken and wrong that we feel the hurts of that that don't line up solved where we live in perfect relationship with god in a life that doesn't perish spoil or fade Our problem is we don't want to let go of the deck of the Titanic. We want to cling to the wreckage of life that will lead us to death, saying, no, I love life, I wouldn't change a thing. The irony here is the only way to have life to the full is to let go of the wreckage that we think brings life and cling to the rescuer. Because only then do you begin to see the things of this world that we enjoyed were brought by the one that's rescued us and that they are a foretaste of what is to come past death. Our possessions, our experiences, our joy, our pleasure, are gifts from God, foretastes of what is to come. There's value in them, don't get me wrong. Just not ultimate value. They're part of enjoying what God has done for us. They're not the thing that you live for. But when you cling to Jesus, you get to enjoy the gifts the way the giver intended you to, both now in part, And beyond death forever. For with Jesus, death is not the end. The great author C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Weight of Glory, I think a really helpful quote. Let me read it to you. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Where are you at right now? Are you happy pursuing the things in life that you know will lead to death? Are you living the firecracker view of life? If that's you, then I want to say you are missing out both on the best pleasure now and on life after death. You're missing out on knowing your maker and trusting him and the security that comes knowing life will last forever because Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead and promises to come back again and take us from death to life. Maybe you've been investigating Jesus for a while. You've been chatting to your friends. You've been coming along to uni church. You've kind of been standing on the edge of the pool of Christianity, dipping your toe in, but not ready to jump. Let me encourage you today don't waste any more of your life making mud pies in the slum. Stop clinging to a sinking ship and recognize that in Jesus, life that lasts forever is offered. Come to Him. Apologize for not treating God as you ought and ask him to save you and live for him. Maybe for you, you do trust in Jesus. You call yourself a Christian. You feel like you're in the lifeboat, like I'm trusting in Jesus. But as you look back out at the Titanic in the distance, you kind of go, you know what? I wish I was back there. There's a part of me that wants to go back to that old way of living, that, that, that way of life I, I bailed from, but now looks a little bit enticing. And, and you feel the temptation to go, oh, I just want to get back on. I know it's sinking, but maybe for a bit. Maybe I could ride the deck just for another hour. <laughs> just have that nice food and that great, and then, then jump off again and get back in the lifeboat because I think that well, well, that will save me in the end. Let Solomon's wisdom guide you to reality today. Life is not found in the pursuit of pleasure, but the one who gives pleasure. Life is not found in the pursuit of pleasure, but the pursuit of the one who gives pleasure, Jesus. Perhaps it's time for you to more seriously and fully pursue him. To recognize how amazing it is that Jesus died for you and for me to carve out time to read His Word, to, to read the book of Ecclesiastes, to read the Gospels, to read what God is saying to us and to be serious about finding our fullest enjoyment and satisfaction in the reality that we've been offered the best gift ever, life beyond death. Make sure we meet regularly with others, other Christians. Open the Word, pray together, come to Jesus and put Him at the centre of your life. There are so many things that hold us back from fully Pursuing Jesus. question for all of us is, what will we pursue? Who will we pursue? As we look back over these two men, two greats of history, Solomon and Jesus, we see this reality. True life is not found in the pursuit of pleasure, but the pursuit of the one who brings pleasure. And his name is Jesus. The question is, Is he who you are pursuing? Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful that we can learn from the life of Solomon. We're thankful that you've showed us through him and the profound wisdom there that the pursuit of pleasure never satisfies. That while it looks good on the outside, death robs us of the truest pleasures of life. So we ask that this day you would help us to see the world and our worth and what we are here for through your eyes. That life beyond death is possible. That Jesus has died in our place as the good shepherd. Help us to trust him, to live for him, not in order to be saved, but because he has rescued us by dying in our place. Father, we ask that this day, that this year, you might help us to fix our eyes on your Son, that we might live for Him and experience life in abundance. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.